Y Group invites all AEC industry leaders to the 2024 AEC Small Business and Entrepreneurship Forum, the premier event for small firms in the AEC sector. Experience innovative strategies and insights on May 21st, crafted by Zweig Group's industry experts. Engage in keynotes and interactive sessions focused on recruitment, retention, and business growth. Join Zweig Group for this unique networking opportunity and take your business to new heights. Secure your spot today and be part of the AEC industry's future. Visit ZweigGroup.com for more information. The Zweig Group team looks forward to welcoming you. Welcome to the Zweig Letter Podcast putting architectural, engineering, planning, and environmental consulting advice and guidance in your ear. Zweig Group's team of experts have spent more than three decades elevating the industry by helping AEP and environmental consulting firms thrive. And these podcasts deliver invaluable management, industry, client, marketing, and HR advice directly to you free of charge. The Zweig Letter Podcasts, elevating the design industry one episode at a time. Hey folks, and welcome to another episode of the Zweig Letter Podcast. I'm your host, Randy Wilburn, and I'm excited to be with you today for another episode. We are still hanging out. This is the new year, 2021. And today our guest is Mr. Stephen Lucy. Stephen is the managing partner with JQ. JQ is a civil engineering firm based out of Dallas, Texas. And they're a firm that I've been familiar with for many years, even back to back to when we used to say the full name <laughs> uh, back in the 90s. So J- right. Jaster Quintanilla. So, you know, it was it was different because I remember one day I, when I came back to Zweig, I was like, wait a minute, JQ. And then I was like, oh, OK, it all made sense there. So but without further ado, Stephen, Lucy, how are you doing? I'm, I'm doing great, Randy, and it's a pleasure to be with you today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I was telling, I remember telling Mark when I first came back and I was like, JQ, I've never heard of them. And I was like, uh, he was like, oh, no, that's Jester Quintanilla. And I'm like, oh, okay. Because back in my old Carter and Burgess days of roaming the Metroplex looking for great people for Jerry Allen, I, I certainly knew your firm and, and knew a lot of firms actually in that area. And, and my, how the landscape has changed over the years and you guys are still standing. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, the changes, especially going back over my career, are pretty dramatic and being able to trace the history of different firms and the, and the transformation of different firms. And ours was kind of a natural progression of once when the founding partners stepped away of really going to, I guess, a broader definition of the firm and hence the kind of change from Jastra Quintanilla, the founding partners names to the little more generic JQ engineering. Plus, I got to tell you that how many times I've had to spell Quintanilla for people is <laughs> pretty, pretty startling. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, if you're not from Texas, that might be a hard name to spell, much less pronounce. So I, I get that. I get right. that. So tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you end up in engineering? And, and was this a lifelong passion of yours or what was? Uh, it actually was in that my father was a civil engineer. I went to Texas A&M just like I did, uh, Giga Maggie's. I also had an uncle who was a civil engineer from Texas A&M. And when I was eight years old, I found my father's textbooks in a cabinet 
and just started flipping through the books. And from that day forward, I told people not was I just going to be a civil uh, an engineer, but I was going to be a civil engineer. Wow. And so it's just always been there. And I was fortunate enough to be able to do that and have uh, spent my entire career in that area. Uh, structural engineering for myself, but that's just a, a subset of civil engineering. Yeah. And as I, when I looked at your bio and, and where you've been, I, I forgot that you were with Datum for many years, and that's an old firm. Are they actually still around? Uh, Datum, Datum is still around. It traces it back to the 1930s, and I was there for 11 years. One year of that, I, I was uh, shipped over to England for a year. We created after the savings and loan crisis, which was kind of the the first of many crisis periods, economic crisis in my career. A lot of firms in the U.S. set up operations in Europe, and we created a joint venture over there. And I was the lone American shipped over to be part of that JV. And then came back in 1990, and then in 94 shifted over to open the Dallas office for JQ. Yeah. Yeah, but that was that one year in England was really the most transformative year of my entire career. Really? Um, Why, yeah, how so how so? Well, I definitely understood that there was a good old boy system that wasn't didn't just exist in Dallas, Texas. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I can tell you that my accent and cowboy boots kind of stood out in England at the time. <laughs> and they went into their banking crisis about 2 months after I arrived, and so I got to live through their version of the savings and loan crisis. But it also allowed me that one year to really focus on where I wanted to go, what I thought I needed to do when I got back, and really set the path for myself from a career standpoint. And it and it proved that my employer at the time had great faith in me to be able to. I was you know 29 years old and got shipped over to be engineering director for a JV, and so it, it just kind of set me on a different path than I thought I was going to be on before that because of what I realized I could do and what opportunities I may may have myself. Yeah. And for the un the uninitiated in the audience, when, when you hear JV, it wasn't that Steven was on a junior varsity team. It was a, <laughs> no. it was a joint venture. <laughs> so, That's correct. Yeah, that is correct. So yeah. So but I, I'm sure some of you you figure that out right away. Well man, that's that I love hearing that. That's something I did not know about you. And so obviously that has informed a lot of the things that you do. So you go come over, you start the Dallas office for JQ. And I mean, it's been a long time now. I would imagine that, you know, for you, you'd have to remark at the changes at the Metroplex. And when I say the Metroplex, I'm talking about the Dallas-Fort Worth area, for those that don't know, has changed. And I mean, it's always been the epicenter for design firms, but it has just, it has just stratospherically grown over the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years. And I'd love your thoughts about that. Yeah, and I, and I would extend that out just beyond Dallas, Fort Worth, and the Metroplex, but the entire state of Texas yeah, yeah. has been just so radically changed in the last 30 years. Oil, oil and gas was kind of king. It still is, but to a much lesser extent than it was before. Uh, we have an extremely open business environment, uh, which is is good and bad. It it does mean that there's lots of competition in the state of Texas large number of consulting firms because of that. And but you do have the ability to kind of make your own destiny because it is open from a business setting. Our population is, you know, just expanding rapidly. Dallas Fort Worth is a big part of that. And if you look at how our how JQ has transformed itself over time, we have six offices around the state and people ask you, you know, why don't you go outside you know, other areas and you just have to look at a map of the United States and look at how big Texas is and 
the fact that it's 900 miles from Texarkana to El Paso and you're still in the state of Texas, you know, just why would you go? Why do you have to go outside? Because there's just so many opportunities here. Yeah. And broad based opportunities across multiple markets and multiple industries to provide success. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, you know, it is so funny. Every time I've talked to a firm down there and to a man or a woman that I talk to in leadership, they all say the same thing is that they, you know, you have, you've barely scratched the surface, you know, and I've, I've talked to people like Chris Huckabee from Huckabee. It's an architectural firm, does a lot of K through 12 schoolwork. And I'm always like, well, Chris, aren't you worried that they're not going to build any more schools? And he's like, man, every time I turn around, there is either a new ISD or a new school being built somewhere in the state of Texas. So. It is one of the fastest growing places in the country, much less the world for that matter. So, right. Yep. Yeah. 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 And the new census is going to prove that out. And you already seen kind of initial numbers of that, of, of the demographic change. And that's the other part we're seeing here is just the demographic change within the state. What was seen as fairly homogenous when I you know, started is now much more diverse. And you're starting to see that reflected across every aspect of life and both in personal and business life here in the state of Texas, which I, which I personally think is a great thing to see that diversity across our state. Yeah. And the one thing I will say is, I've, and I've had, I've, you know, through Zui Group, I've had the pleasure of spending time with your team on several occasions doing trainings. And you have a very diverse staff. You have a really smart staff. I think that was the one thing that I really that really stood out to me. Not that most design firms don't have really smart people working there, but your staff is above average and they're highly competitive too with each other, which is something I noticed. How do you foster that? Sometimes it's just get out of their way. <laughs> you know, the, <laughs> you know the, I, I look at some of the examples in my own life where it was my professional life, where it was, you'd hear things going on around the office and you just decide that I'm going to take part in this, even if you haven't been taking part in it and you have the the entrepreneurship that you may say, or just, you know, the fortitude to just kind of jump in there and create your own path. And you still need to have a framework of it. And so I think the success we have is that the, the leadership at the top understands that we, we just need to provide the framework. And if you get the right people, they're going to create their own success, which then becomes a success of the overall firm. And it's more incumbent upon us to just to facilitate the opportunities and understand what their goals are and how those goals mesh up with other goals to be able to kind of orchestrate the process. It can definitely have its you know bumps along the road, but if your goal is it is with JQ is to perpetuate the firm, then you need to be able to perpetuate the opportunities for your staff in order to make that really successful for everybody. Yeah. And and I know that I mean obviously you guys have expanded into some new areas but what are you really bullish about right now with regard to the, the marketplace? Is that, as I talk to other design firm leaders, I know that there is some concern about you know, how things are going to go, but I, I think a lot of that is predicated upon public versus private work. There are right. a lot, there's a lot of public sector work that's out there, but there's still also a lot of private sector work. How do you feel about the current state of affairs, given that elephant in the room that we talked about before we started recording the pandemic and how that's impacting firms? I think the you know as as a firm we're about seventy percent public market thirty percent private market so we've always ever since our founding in eighty four we've tended to focus on the public market most and that's you know a stable market most of the time compared to the the private market in Texas as a whole you know we haven't really seen a lot of the 
the challenges that have been seen, say, on East Coast and West Coast to the same extent. And some of that's just, again, from a regulatory standpoint or a restriction standpoint. We were all deemed as essential at the beginning of the pandemic. And so personally, I've been in the office every day since March if I wasn't traveling. And, and I have been traveling because our client still requires to travel. Where we see big changes coming up, or and I don't even say changes, I guess it's just still progression. Water is the next oil. You know, the, we're going to see lots of opportunities from an energy standpoint as the, as the energy model for the United States changes from oil and gas or, or fossil fuel dependent to more sustainable. We're already seeing that a lot in water, and we, we've had severe drought conditions here at different points, which highlights that. And if I look at our own backlog right now, over half our backlog is related to water and wastewater industry. We started as an architecturally focused firm, but it's, it's changing and has changed over time, some by chance and some by very specific decisions that we've made to get uh, to have us a strong horizontal practice as well as vertical practice. And we see that continuing to, to happen, not just in Texas, but basically everything in the Western U.S. Water is going to really depend on everything that you do. You can't address that issue. It, it doesn't matter how many people want to live there. You just can't support everything that's going to take, take place. Yeah. I mean, I think traditionally when we think about water, we think of, you know, a lot of obviously third world nations and the challenges that they have with water, but we have some of our own challenges right here right. in the United States with water. And I, I don't think we fully appreciate that. And that probably is a podcast episode in and of itself just to talk about, you know, all of those effects. But it sounds like you guys have found some nice niches to work within, within the civil engineering space that you feel very comfortable with. And there's also been opportunities that have been created during the pandemic that we probably didn't realize would be there or that we thought were going to be down markets. Uh, one of our biggest growth areas in the last year has actually been airport, you know, air transportation related work. And, you know, we had some existing contracts and it was our natural assumption, I think, at the beginning of this, that all that was just going to go on hold. And what has actually happened is it's a unique opportunity for the industry and especially the, the airport owners to be able to work when there's not millions of people within your workspace. Right. And so for those, and we were very fortunate at DFW Airport, you know, its, it's market share has not fallen to the same extent, but they've also seen significant savings within their dollars by being able to turn over entire areas to the contractors to continue doing work versus having to use restricted hours or restricted workspace that may extend out the projects. So not only have the schedules been shortened, but the cost impact has also been greatly reduced. Yeah. And that's, that, I mean, that gives them a chance to really kind of, and also kind of see some things get done quicker, obviously, uh, scheduling wise. And, and that certainly makes for a different experience, I think. Yeah. And it is an industry that's going to come back. I mean, at some point it is going to come back and if you continue to make investments, then you are going to be in that much better position to be able to take advantage of that, that return to business. And, and that's what we're trying to do as a company too. I mean, we're currently hiring staff. We have not had any reductions. We've been very fortunate in that. So we're, we're actively recruiting and actively hiring as a firm, which is kind of counter to some of our, our peers, but we, we doubled down on a lot of marketing and business development when this started. And have been able to, you know, actually even grow our backlog in the last 10 months, which, 
you know, hats off to our entire team for doing that because it definitely wasn't just a one person effort. It was a decision globally of every per- every staff member we have to be able to do that. Yeah, no, I mean, and I think that's good. I mean, I think you should, you shouldn't, I don't think you should You wait till you're thirsty to drink. I think you should, you should drink as much as you can when you can. So uh, well, Mark, Mark Zwag talks about it all the time. About, <laughs> you know, now is not the time to be able to cut, cut overhead just for the sake of cutting overhead. There's certain functions that you have to have. Absolutely. And in the times of need, you need to double down on marketing and business development or else you're just in this death spiral. You've, cut off your head and didn't even realize that you've done it yet. Yeah, I love that. Well, and you said something, and I, I certainly want to talk about this. You mentioned the fact that you guys are actively recruiting right now. You're going out there. How much does or how much do you play up the the amount of professional development that you guys do at JQ in your recruiting process? Because that's, again, that to me is a big attraction, but I'm just curious to know if that if that plays a role and what the information that you share with potential people that may come and join you? We do. I mean, we, it's, it's almost like uh, marketing for projects. Most of the time you realize if you've already made the short list, they already know you have the technical ca- capability. And so the real sell is, are you the right fit for the client that you're trying to obtain? And recruiting staff is really no different than recruiting a client from that, from that viewpoint. So it's the, it's the culture and the soft sell type things, the professional development. How are you going to welcome them? Are you going to be there for them as their life changes through different challenges that they're going to face over the tenure with your firm? It's all those type things that, that really matters. And so it's also building up your own firm reputation at the entities that you're trying to recruit from. So our, our biggest ambassadors are, are you know, graduates of those programs who now work for us or interns that we've had that have gone back and have talked to their peers about what their experience has been like. And if we're failing on all those fronts, then it doesn't matter how, how great a project that we're technical project we're going to have for them. They may enjoy that, but they're going to hate being here yeah, <laughs> or yeah. wherever they go. And so training is a huge component of that, much more so than when I was getting out of school. People really know that they want that you're going to be there and support them in their development and not just bring them in as a commodity that they're going to work for you and then they're going to leave and go somewhere else. Well, yeah, I think and that's hard nowadays because as I tell firm leaders, I mean, Gen Z, this generation now that's coming out of school, I mean, they think faster, they process information faster, but and then they also have just different ideals about what their work, work life balance or work life environment should be. And so. There's that aspect of it too, and you have to be aware of that. Well, and I think the yeah the for all the challenges that we've had within the pandemic, there's actually been some silver linings in there that we that I hope we don't lose as things you know return to some other type of work balance. the The idea of remote work is not the taboo topic that it once was, but from an employer standpoint, there's also opportunities that are created by that. I think work. Work remote was seen as a benefit for the person that was allowed to work remote. But work remote is also a huge benefit for an employer to be able to engage within your staff as their needs and challenges change outside of work. Or if you have somebody, and we've had several of these that during this have had to relocate for some reason, well, they can still stay working for us and be remote. 
And we've even done that with interns, whereas before interns were seen as they have to be here to be able to have any kind of experience, but they really don't have to be here full time with you. And so we actually kept over half of our interns on as they returned to school and just shifted over them to part time. You know, instead of 40 hours a week during the summer, they're working 20 hours a week for us as they're back at their school. And so they're, you know, the furthest one is a thousand miles from here, but he's still working for us and being very successful and being very productive with his team. Wow. So it allows you to connect with people in a different, more robust way and not have these very discrete touch points, but have a continuous touch point with, especially for people that you may want to be, you know, future full-time employees for you. Right. That you really didn't have before. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love, I love hearing that. And I'm glad because I, you know, like I, like I said, I mean, I, I'm dating myself now, but when I go back to the nineties recruiting in Texas, that wasn't the expectation of the kids coming out of school. Then it was a much different, it was a much different ball game. And you know that Um, speaking of schools, because of your, you know, you, you're, you're kind of a legacy guy with, with Texas A&M go Aggies. And Do you feel like you have a main line into that engineering program there when it comes to recruitment? Are you heavily involved with them at all? Have you used that as an advantage for you when trying to attract some of the talent coming out of that school? Yeah, actually, actually they're in the middle of their uh, job fairs right now. Actually, today we have and we take part uh, the a and I'll, I'll brag a little bit on my alma mater. The A&M Engineering Career Fair is the largest career fair in the nation. It's yeah. uh, nine to 10,000 students. It's 480 firms that take part in it. And it's two days in the spring and two, ba- two days in the fall. But we also take part, uh, civil engineering program in particular has its own job fair separate from that. And then the Honors College has its own job fair separate to that. Today is actually the Honors College job fair that we're taking part in. And so we touch the program in multiple ways. One is through the job fairs, like most people. We also actively engage within the departments that we hire from, which is the architectural engineering program and civil engineering program primarily, doing presentations during the course of the year. And then personally, past chair and emeritus member of the civil engineering advisory and um, was on the founding advisory for the architectural engineering program that's just in its third year. And then I'm on the College of Engineering Advisory. And actually, immediately after this meeting, I am meeting with someone from the Texas A&M Foundation here in the office. So we we spend a, a tremendous amount of time there. But we also were trying to do the exact same thing with multiple programs, not just in Texas, but across the nation, because we recognize the benefit of diversity in that educational viewpoint, as well as is in other areas that we have within the firm. Yeah. Are you surprised, Stephen, when you hear other firms that don't take advantage of their alumni relations and, you know, kind of go back and continue to foster those relationships or build them? I do. And and the surprising part to me is when I talk to different like department heads and others is the the universities also don't actively go out and and try to touch industry. And so it's just it's this hands off kind of approach and and both sides benefit tremendously from being able to engage. The universities are are uh, hungry for input into are that do they have a successful program or how do they need to change to address the needs of the industry and the industry wants to be able to uh, you know talk about what they want 
it was actually Chad and I were both at a, a national program for American Society of Civil Engineers, and he was representing the University of Arkansas as an industry, and I was there for AM. So there were like 50 of us from industry and 250, every civil program in the United States was represented there. And we got to the question and answer after the keynote. And the question to the, one of the industry reps who was on this panel was, what do you want going forward? And he goes, what we need is more people. You have to provide us more people. And immediately someone from one of the university stood up and says, well, we can't do it if you don't give better wages. And it just became this <laughs> very acrimonious conversation that took place. And eventually when it, I stood up to make comments was, okay, we're four hours into this and apparently we already hate each other. Yeah. And I, I didn't expect this this quickly. And both sides need to do better than that. But the only way we can do that is if we actively engage and talk to each other because there are two, it's two sides to the same coin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, and what you described, and and I've I've heard this conversation before with others in uh, coming out of different disciplined programs at the university level, and I always say to these guys, I'm like, listen, you know, you guys are judged by your ability to put these young people in a position to be hired for jobs that pay them a certain wage, and you know, get them to a place of acceptance and where they can get out, pay their student loans and do what they need to do. So, I mean, it it certainly works both ways. And so you've got to get into the ivory tower and, you know, kind of change the thinking, if you will. And But on both sides, like you said, it's always about building relationships because those relationships will come back and pay up tenfold in the long run. Yeah, we. I mean, that's one of the things we look at uh, for all of our new hires from universities is one of our kind of criteria that we do is we want everybody to have gone through an internship process to understand that there is a difference between academic learning and professional learning in the workplace. But it's also been interesting in talking to some of the departments who want to put internships as the criteria for graduation, that yeah. they want that as a course. And our response back is you can't really depend upon industry to do that if you don't actively engage in industry yourself and economics are going to really drive whether or not there's internships opportunities or not. You know, we, we are going to face this. I'm afraid we're going to face this kind of crunch through the pandemic and coming out as we're going to, we're going to lose, a, you know, a generation or a period of time where we don't have as many new graduates coming into our industry. And we've seen that in the past during the recession and all, and we, we lose multiple years of people entering our industry and our staffing is just going to be that much more restricted. And we also have the compounding factor of the last few years from a, from an immigration standpoint of losing that level. And it's been really stark in looking at the, the universities that I know in the case of A&M, they had a net 30% reduction in graduate enrollment, which we, as on our structural practice, we really almost exclusively hire master's graduates. And we know now we're going to face a shortage at some point, but or the competition level is going to be such that it's just going to be really difficult for everybody to fulfill their needs that they have. Yeah. Do you think, and, and of course, we don't get into politics on this right. Mike Letter podcast, but do, yeah, you think this do you think this administration is going to be, have any success to turn the tide when it comes to that? Because that's always been a big concern of mine was just, you know, hearing from people that I've connected with outside of this country that have been like, well, I don't know if I'm ever coming back to the U.S. And so, I mean, 
Do you think that we'll be able to turn that tide in the, in the next two to four years? Yeah, I like to think there'll be a, a middle ground that we reach within the, yeah, that we have a discussion and understand the pros and cons of both sides. I, I do think the, in addition to staffing, I think the other thing that's going to be addressed is infrastructure spending. And I think we're going to see that not just at the federal level, but the state level of understanding the investments we need to make back into our country oh, yeah. uh, related to infrastructure and other needs that are there. And that it does have a, the politics of it is correct of not only do we need it, but it's also job creation and other things that go along with that. I'm hoping to see a reinvestment from that standpoint, uh, yeah. you know, coming, coming out over this year and, and the coming years. Yeah, I saw a t- statistic somewhere for the state that I live in, Arkansas. I think 82% of the bridges are deficient in the state of Arkansas. And if that isn't, if that isn't a case for infrastructure improvement, as well as the need for structural engineers, the whole night, I mean, there's just all kinds of opportunities that exist there. And it will be interesting to see how that, how that plays out and how the design industry benefits from that. And I've, I've always, uh, been interested in ASCE's kind of, you know, report card on infrastructure. And I've told them before that you really got to do something that's got a more positive spin on it. If everybody's, it's, it's kind of like with your child, you look at your report card and all you see are, you know, C minuses and Ds and all, you know, potentially you just lose hope already and say, right, okay, right. this is never going to change. And somehow we have to, I'll, I'll look for Zwag to come up with a way that we can market this in a positive way. <laughs> that's, it, uh, that's that it. we all need to from an industry and not just seeing as we want to support ourselves. It really is a societal benefit that comes along with that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, it, it is certainly wordsmithing at its highest level. So somebody yes. will have to have to get creative there. Well, man, as we wind up this conversation, I'd love to just ask you a couple of, a couple of other questions and I'm, I'm going to sure. put you on the spot now. So you can say, I haven't done anything like that recently, but what's the best book that you've read lately that has really impacted you as a leader, as a design firm leader? I don't know that I can, I'll change, I'll change my response a little bit away from that. And it's not the best book I've read, but kind of the best experiences I've done that have changed me as a leader. I do a lot of mentor protege relationships and not just internal to JQ, but external programs also. And the one thing I found from that, which is really, I guess, invigorated me about where our industry is going to go and just how we as a company have changed how we approach a lot of our staffing and policies is really just talking to people at different points in their career. And the proteges I have are everything from, say, one year out of school up to 15 or so years out of school. And so they're all representative of different phases. And from a generational standpoint, it gives me a whole different viewpoint about what's going on. And through those conversations, there have been directions to articles and other type things to kind of give some basis for that. We actually have an engineer that's leaving us on Friday to go to work for the FBI. And he, University of Tennessee, MIT, and then UT MBA executive business program. First person we ever helped support to go get his MBA. And uh, he actually writes for Zwag. I, I introduced him to Zwag to give a whole different viewpoint. And a lot of what he's kind of shared with us are, are the things that they've gone over within the MBA program. And it's, and it's soft skills like, you know, bias recognition and how do you motivate and how do you do other things along those lines? And I think 
one of the failings of our industry is we tend to bring people all up from the technical engineering background. And we just don't have those soft skills and business skills that we need to truly be successful as a company. And if we don't try to incorporate those in some way, wherever you get that information from, you're going to have struggles as a business. Because at the end of the day, and, and you know, I, I'm a firm believer in this, is we're not an engineering firm. We're a business that happens to sell engineering services. <laughs> and you really have to transform how you mentally how you look at your your business and your practice if you want to be successful going forward yeah and you i mean you said it perfectly and it is it is a challenge that this industry has faced that we have we've always skewed to the iq side of things but it's the eq side of things that really you know so the listening the empathy self-control i mean there's there's so many other aspects to that that really play into rounding out an individual and their skill set. And so I appreciate you sharing that. And well, that's, that's been one of the keys why I've been active was why, you know, in the past is it was, uh, you know, I'll, I'll brag on you all a little bit. Uh, <laughs> you can brag. I, yeah, I figured, I figured you weren't going to tell me to be quiet. Uh, but it has, uh, it supports our industry. It's very specific to our industry, but it gives a, a completely different viewpoint than what you'd get just from the myopic viewpoint of being within your own organization. And there's lots of different touch points you can make within that. The fact that I write for Zweig, the benefit to me was being able to outwardly express what I was inwardly thinking and, and get comments back and understand from other people's viewpoints of, you know, I, to be honest, I think what you just said is BS, you know, okay, well, that's, that's good. Let me explain why I think this is, you know, successful for us. And it's those type of conversations and the relationships that have developed through, you know, attending y'all's various programs from a business standpoint, that's given us a much broader view of our industry, as opposed to just, okay, I'm, I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna design this building. Well, guess what? There's a hundred firms out there that can design this building technically. There's a handful of firms that can go out there and do it in a way that's going to engage our clients and lock those people in as clients long term. Yeah. That's the firm I want to be. I don't want to be the commodity firm. I want to be the differentiating firm. Yeah. Uh, and that requires a different viewpoint and a different skill set to be able to do that. I love that. Yeah, because nobody wants to race to the bottom. Uh, you want to race to the top when it comes to uh, putting your services out there. So yeah, you want to be that salmon swimming upstream. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, man, I really appreciate this. My last question to you, and this is something I've just started asking people because of the pandemic, because of the fact that we are sequestered in our homes a little more than we'd like to. Has there been any show that you've been binging or, or you discovered during this, the last nine or 10 months of, of what we've been <laughs> well, left? I have to admit, I live out in the country and I have no internet, cable internet <laughs> at the house. So my connection to the world once I got back to the house was standing on my front porch because that's the only place I could get one bar on my cell phone. Oh, wow. Uh, oh, my and so the first thing I did, uh, one of my partners is the same way. He lives about 50 miles outside of Dallas and drives in every day. He told me where I could get a booster for my cell signal. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was able to stream video for the very first time at the start of the pandemic at my house. So the uh, I found a whole new world of Netflix <laughs> that I never had before. So I've been binge watching 
forever now since this started and it's the most amazing thing in the world to understand what other technology can do for you it it, it is it really is and it's it's a reason why netflix uh stock is through the roof right now so yeah and amazon and, prime now you know, yeah i've got Plus, multiple choices now. so yeah yeah absolutely well that's great i love that well Stephen, thank you so much for taking the time to connect with us if people want to reach out to you after they've listened to this and said wow this guy really moved me i I'd love to connect with him. What's the best way for them to do that? Just uh, emails, best way. Uh, it's S-L-U-C-Y, S-L-U-C-Y at J-Q-E-N-G.com. Or you can also just look on LinkedIn and connect through there and and message me on LinkedIn because I uh, anybody who knows me knows I'm, I hover over my connect- connectivity and I respond whatever all day long and all night long many yeah. times okay so, uh, yeah, yeah feel free to reach out perfect yeah well we'll, ha- we'll make sure that people do that we'll put all of this information in the show notes as well as a link to jq's website and some uh, additional information from this particular episode of the podcast but man thank you so much for coming on we really appreciate it i appreciate the time randy cool well folks that's another episode of this wide letter podcast learn more about one of the oldest newsletters in the design industry by visiting the you can read articles online listen to this podcast and sign up for a free subscription to the newsletter and have it delivered right into your email inbox every monday morning sign up today for more info about zwig group's advisory services or any zwig group publications visit zwiggroup.com you can subscribe to the Zweig Letter Podcast wherever you listen to it. And please consider rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. I'm your host, Randy Wilburn. We'll see you soon. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to the Zweig Letter Podcast. We hope that you can be part of elevating the industry and that you can apply our advice and information to your daily professional life. For a free digital subscription to the Zweig Letter, please visit thezwigletter.com slash subscribe to gain more wisdom and inspiration in addition to information about leadership, finance, HR, and marketing your firm. Subscribe today.